I grew up with peaches. How many of you love peaches? When I came down to Florida, I, I discovered that, bring me down just a little bit. I discovered, though, that nectarines are like the end fruit or something. We actually lived in a house in Winter Springs in which we had a nectarine tree in our backyard. Is that cool or what? The only problem was we hardly ever had a chance to eat them. You had to eat them when they were so tiny. And the reason for this was the squirrels. The squirrels would come. They would barely be growing on the, on the branch, and they would come, and they would grab them, and they would eat them. It's like, what are they doing? Don't they realize? Don't they realize that these things, they can actually grow big with lots of juicy fruit on them? And if you just wait, don't eat them now, but wait, oh, they're awesome. So I had this little conversation with these squirrels, right? And to, to quote the emperor's new groove, I told them, I said, squeak it or squeak it or squeak or squeak. But did they understand me? No. So we hardly ever, honestly, we hardly ever had those nectarines. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, my goodness, I would never do that. Can you please tell my children? Because we like to buy nectarines before they're fully ripe, and I never get one. They always eat them. It's like, come on, just let them get a little soft, Right. But no, they, they, they don't listen to me. You know, it's really easy for us to be impatient and to make those hard decisions and say, right now, no, right? How about, how about this, though? We're going through life. Time is going by. And more time is going by. And more time is going by. And we are not married. And a young woman if you're a man or a young lady, if you're a guy, comes by and she's not a Christian or he's not a Christian. And you say, you know what? He likes me. If I wait too long, I may never get married. And so we choose to not wait. This is a very real thing in our lives. Throughout our lives, we are going to be called to make hard choices. We're going to be called to leave something behind because though it might look so good, it is not God's best for us. And he's saying, can you trust me? Now with Abraham, you remember, he was waiting and waiting and waiting. And he decided, well, maybe Hagar my wife's maidservant, maybe I can have a child through her. And so Sarah actually, in our culture, that's pretty, pretty strange to be honest with you, but not so much so back in Abraham's culture. And so he tried to fulfill God's promises. I'm going to give you a son. And then through that son, I'm going to build a nation. And I'm going to bring that people, that nation to this land that you're standing on right now, the land of Canaan. And I'm promising to give you that land. Well, Abraham had not had a child, and so he tried to do it by what we call the arm of the flesh. Didn't work, did it? Finally, though, God, after 25 years of waiting, God blesses Abraham. And we learned last week that however old Isaac was, we don't know, Isaac is born, however old he is. Now God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. Pretty strange request, was it not? Now, we learned last week that Abraham, as you look into the text in Genesis 22, he believed, well, I mean, God is going to fulfill his promise in Isaac, 
And he is told, he, he tells his son who asks him, Dad, okay, so here we are. We're finally at the mountain. We've got the wood. We've got the fire. But where's the sacrifice? He hadn't told him yet. But he looks at him and he said, God is going to provide the lamb. And he really believed this. So he puts the, the wood on the altar. He takes his son. And I imagine at this point, he's got to tell him, okay, son, God told me to sacrifice you. I can only imagine the expression on Isaac's face. So he begins to tie him up. He lays him on the altar. And I can only imagine as Abraham, the knife is over here on the rock, and he's looking around and saying, okay, God, it's about time. Lamb, any time here, surely you don't want to sacrifice my son. Surely you don't want me to sacrifice my son. And I can only imagine there is a measure of disappointment as he looks around and there is no lamb to take his place. And so Genesis 22 says Abraham reached for the knife and he picked it up. And this is where the author of Hebrews says, do you know why he picked up that knife? And I'm paraphrasing. Because he believed that seeing there was no provision, he would now have to kill his son. But even in doing this, God would raise his son from the dead. Abraham lived by faith. Now, we learned, of course, uh, Abraham did not have to kill his son. God didn't have to physically raise his Abraham's one and only son, whom he loved, whom he was ready to sacrifice, that should he die, he would raise him from the dead, which would not be unheard of as we now look back to the New Testament. That's exactly what God in heaven did with his son. But God, by an angel, stayed his hand, and he said, wait a second, Abraham. I do have a sacrifice for you. And there, caught in the thickets, was a ram. And God, can you imagine Abraham wiping the sweat from his brow? Thank you, Lord. And he puts the knife down, and he then takes the the ram and sacrifices the lamb. But by faith, he obeyed, and he was willing to do what God told him to do. Now, here's what we learned. We have learned over the last couple of weeks that God's promises are solidly rooted in truth, the truth of who God is, the truth of what God does, God's ways. And the past tells us this truth. What has God done and who is God? To this day, we we experience that truth of who God is. The future holds a promise. Isaac, a nation from Isaac, a promised land that God is going to bring them back to. Faith, here's what faith does. Faith bridges the past to the future. Faith bridges truth and our experience of truth and who God is with what God's promise and what God wants to do in your life. Faith bridges them, takes truth, looks to the promise, and then it acts on it. And throughout Hebrews chapter 11, we don't just see people believing, holding on to a truth. We see people looking ahead, holding on to that truth, looking ahead to the promise, 
and saying, okay, I'm going to follow you, God, because faith acts, faith moves, faith walks forward, and it embraces that promise. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11.1, it says this, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So certain that it acts as if that promise is a done deal and it walks in it. It acts as if that promise is absolutely certain. We see that in Abraham's life. Excuse me. Today, we're going to see that in Moses' life. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, last week, and we're going to find this again this week, the author of Hebrews, he has, I'll be honest with you, he sees things In the text, last week Genesis, this week in Exodus, he sees things in the text. Guys, I got to look strong, long, and hard, and I I think I'm finally getting, what is it that he is seeing? We're going to discover that. Because when we read the text, it's like, where in Genesis 22 does Abraham believe God's going to raise Isaac from the dead? Here's Here's where he says it. He reached for the knife and picked it up. And why would he do that? He's about to kill his son because there's no lamb. In that moment of perhaps disappointment, forget it. My faith says God is still going to do it. So he reaches for the knife. Why? Because he now believes God is going to raise his son from the dead after he kills him. And that's the insight that the author of Hebrews. So we're going to see some insight that the author of Hebrews has that maybe by a cursory reading of the text in Exodus chapter 2, turn there with me. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 2 and a few verses from Hebrews chapter 11. Excuse me. And we're going to read Hebrews. Excuse me. We're going to read Exodus 2. And when we read Hebrews, you're going to start scratching your head and thinking, what? Where does it say that? And we're going to discover where it says. And then we're going to discover why the author of Hebrews makes certain conclusions that he does about faith. Remember, this text that I'm about to read to you is about faith. Can you see it? Exodus chapter 2. Here we go. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Do you see faith yet? He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and told him, excuse me, and hid him in the sand. Really? Faith? (laughs) The next day, come on, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, excuse me. No, it doesn't say that in the Hebrew, sorry. Who made you ruler? And judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was filled with faith. Is that what your text says? No, then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Filled with faith? Where is this faith? Hebrews 11, keep your fingers there in Exodus chapter 2. 
We're going to bounce back and forth, throwing in a little bit of Acts chapter 7, Stephen's sermon about Moses. And we're going to discover some principles of faith today. Are you there? Hebrews 11, starting with verse 24. We're only reading a few verses. By faith. Say that with me, church. By faith. I, I didn't hear you. Say, just say it a little bit louder so this deaf pastor can hear. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short season. Is that what we just read? Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Man, I, I, I didn't read that. Or maybe did I? Verse 27, by faith. Help me out here, church, again. Help me. Say it with me. By faith, he left Egypt. Well, well, I, I thought it said because of fear. Wait, wait, wait. But it says, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, I don't know about you. When I have read this many times, I have walked away very confused. Author of Hebrews, whoever that was. What? Seriously, what? Where do you get this? When did he actually say no to being Pharaoh's daughter, that is a prince in Egypt with like everything at his disposal? And when on earth did he exercise faith? I'm only seeing fear. I don't see faith. But by faith, he disowned his Egyptian heritage. And it says, by faith, he left Egypt. So we're in Exodus to say this. How is faith at the root, at the heart of these hard choices that Moses made? And I'm going to suggest to you they were hard choices. We almost feel as if he was catapulted or thrusted into this because of some bad choices he made. But I'm going to suggest to you that behind all of this, there are some hard choices that he had to make by faith. So question number one, where in Exodus does it say he left his Egyptian heritage? Not wanting to be Pharaoh's daughter or recognized as Pharaoh's daughter and not being a prince. I want you to turn then to Hebrews, excuse me, Exodus chapter 2. Let's go back there. And it says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. <clears throat> Can I ask you? If he were Pharaoh's daughter, meaning therefore a prince, not necessarily the crown prince, I'm not suggesting that, but a prince with great authority and power in the land, if he were to want something done, wouldn't he just speak the word and it would be done? This guy has authority. He's looking out over his people. There's this sense of identification here. Number one, how did he know that he was a Hebrew? 
Number one, what is stirring in his heart? Why would he even want to look upon these people who are enslaved and being, for lack of a better term, tortured? So when he sees this one Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew, instead of telling the Egyptian, hey, stop this, he chooses to kill the Egyptian. Why would he do this? He kills the Egyptian. The very next day, he sees two Hebrews arguing, and one is treating the other Hebrew cruelly, and that strikes a chord within Moses. And Moses said, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? You see, he is identified at this point, but this is a fellow Hebrew. Why are you doing this? You know, the Egyptians, that's what they do. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Your brothers, your fellow brother, your fellow Hebrews, why are you doing this? If he were still at this point identifying with the people of Egypt and this cultural heritage that he has and his inheritance, the power, the authority as a prince, why is it that the, the, the Hebrew and Stephen in Acts 7 says this, this, Stephen says, the Hebrew says he pushed Moses aside, and then he asked him, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? I'm going to suggest to you, Moses would have said, hey, guys, hello, I'm like the prince of Egypt. What do you mean, who, who, Pharaoh made me ruler, Pharaoh made me judge? That's a pretty silly question. Unless, unless, by this point, when he goes out and looks over his people, he had made the hardest decision of his life. He made a choice. I am not going to identify myself any longer with the Egyptians. He had a great education. He had great wealth. He was a smart guy. He was educated in all of the teachings within Egypt. And there was a lot of good knowledge within Egypt that was spot on. He had access to all of this. I'm, I'm sure he probably spoke multiple languages and could read multiple languages. He was smart. He was skilled. But he said, I'm going to leave that all behind. And it said, Hebrews author says he actually chose to be mistreated rather than to embrace the pleasures of sin. He actually chose disgrace, and it doesn't even say disgrace for God. It says specifically disgrace for Christ. We need to find out why. But he's, he chose disgrace for Christ instead of the treasures of Egypt. I'm going to suggest to you by verse 11 in Exodus 2, he had made this choice. He had already stepped down. He had already been started to be mistreated as this Hebrew wannabe ruler in Egypt, and he moved away from that. And I'm, can you only imagine now how the Pharaoh felt, how his mother, at least the one that raised him, 
his, his Egyptian mother felt. It was this reason that he chose not to identify with the Egyptians and to embrace his biological upbringing and his inheritance as a Jew, as a Hebrew. He chose that. This is why he couldn't just command the Egyptian, stop beating him. The only recourse, at least in his mind, was to kill the Egyptian. Because if he didn't, the Hebrew would die. This is why the fellow Hebrew looks at Moses and he doesn't fall down on his knee and say, oh, please, please forget. You know what? I should never have done that because Moses was no longer a prince in the land. And for this reason, his fellow Hebrew pushes his, uh, him aside knowing the shame and the scorn and even the mockery that he'd been hearing around town from the other Egyptians, you're no longer a prince. You're a, you're a shame. I don't even think you should call yourself a Hebrew because for 40 years, you looked out over us and you applauded our slavery. Can you imagine the contempt in this fellow Hebrew? So he pushes him aside. They said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Moses had made a decision. Apparently, not only was he now to be mocked by the Egyptians, but by his fellow Hebrews. And he did this for one reason. He wanted to be in the very center of God's will. The very center of God's will. He chose to say no to all of these luxuries within Egypt, to say no to the power and the authority that can so easily corrupt any politician. He said no to that. Can I ask you, what types of luxuries did he give up? What types of treasures of Egypt did he give up so that he would end up being mistreated and disgraced? After all, I mean, come on. If he is an Egyptian prince, wouldn't he just be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to partake in that. You know what, I don't want that. I'm gonna, as an Egyptian prince, I'm going to tell you, you know what, you need to just set these people free. You've made them slaves. But he couldn't do that. Now, I appreciate, I'm going to, take us back in time, what is it, the 1960s, when the movie The Ten Commandments came out with Charlton Heston. Have you guys, how many of you have seen that movie? Do you remember, some of you have not seen that, what, you have lived how many years and you've not seen The Ten Commandments starring Charlton Heston? Come on. But I appreciate the insight that the scriptwriter had here, because they portray him as realizing that remaining as a prince of Egypt he could not identify with his Jewish heritage any longer. And they show him as the one who oversaw the building of Pithom and Ramses using slave labor. Now, if that's true, and, and it very well may be, he realized as a prince, I can't do this anymore. I can't get out of this. I can't say no to my, my father, the Pharaoh. I cannot continue to endorse the slavery. I've got to make a hard choice. And so for this reason, it says, by faith, 
He made this hard choice and decided not to identify himself as Pharaoh's daughter, excuse me, son, any longer. Pharaoh's daughter's son, there we go. Any longer. I'm not going to identify myself as a prince of Egypt any longer, but I'm going to identify myself with these slaves who are mistreated. And Moses, by faith, gave up everything. Everything. Jesus says in Luke 14, 33, unless you give up everything for me, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you give up everything for me, you cannot be my disciple. He had to make this hard choice. It says in Hebrews 13, 13, let me turn there for a moment. It says concerning the fact that the high priest would sacrifice the lamb outside or, or, or the, the sacrifice was made in the temple court, but the blood was taken into the temple, but the body of the sacrifice was taken outside the city and burned. And he said, don't you see Jesus in this? The blood of Jesus was sprinkled in the heavenly court to make us pure and holy. And then his body in essence, was burned outside because that body was the body that had become sin. And it's the sense of separation from sin. And so the author of Hebrews in 13.13 says this, let us, us then go to him, Jesus, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. That Greek word disgrace is the very same one that it says Moses chose to identify with the disgrace of Christ. This disgrace is what we have been called to. Welcome to your Christian heritage. In which I die to sin. In which my flesh is burned. It's crucified so that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the hard choice that we make. When we are making this decision, will I choose to follow Christ or not? It says here that Moses chose to not indulge in the sins, uh, the pleasures of sin for a, short, for a short time, which, by the way, was actually 80 years. That's a short time, I guess, to the author of Hebrews. And instead, it says he looked ahead to his reward, whatever that might be, reward here on earth, maybe, but even more so reward later in heaven. In view of that, he said, no longer am I going to be an Egyptian prince. No longer. I'm going to say no to all of this. Perhaps is the one overseeing the building of Pitham and Ramses. We don't know. But I'm going to say no to all of this because I have to. I cannot compromise. I can't straddle the fence here. I can't hold on to these luxuries of Egypt, which caused me to indulge in sin. I have to let that go to follow God. Have you ever heard of how they capture monkeys? Some of you have heard this, maybe all, many of you have heard this illustration before. It's a true illustration, actually, in which they take large coconuts, they drill a hole inside that's just big enough for a monkey 
to fit his hand open, fit his hand down in. There's food inside the coconut. He grabs the food, but he cannot pull himself, his hand, out of the coconut any longer. And so he he now has two hands that he's reached into the coconuts, grabbing the food, and he cannot, he, he will hold on to the food, he will not let go of it, but he cannot get rid of these coconuts. And so he can't swing from the trees, he can run, but you see, monkeys don't necessarily, aren't necessarily faster than humans. They might be quick. They can't climb the trees. They're stuck. They get captured. There's only one way for this monkey to save his life. Let go. You got to let go. The only way that Moses realized that he could ever gain this amazing inheritance was to let go of the sin pleasures of Egypt, and he made that hard choice. I've talked with a number of skeptics and atheists in my day, and they're they're always asking for evidence, right? Well, prove to me that there's a God. How do you know that Jesus is really who he said he is? How do you know we can trust the Gospels? Why would you even think that somebody could be raised from the dead? That is totally unscientific, right? And so I'll ask him, I said, you know what? If I were, let's just suppose with me, if I were to able to share enough evidence with you to satisfy you, to even convince you that there's a God, his, his son's name is Jesus, he actually came to this earth, he died for your sins, by the way, and rose from the dead, and he's now seated at the right hand, ruling over his church, his kingdom, would you believe in him? And here's what they usually do. Mm. Enough evidence? Yes, if I were to share enough evidence. And they get this sheepish, sheepish grin on their face. And they would say, well, maybe. And I'd say, really? So if I share the gospel, so if I shared this evidence with you and I shared the gospel, you'd be willing to give up all of your past and follow Jesus? Okay, well, maybe not. And I would ask them, What's, what would keep you back? And a lot of them are really honest. They'll tell me. They'll say this, because I love my sin too much. I I like this too much. Well, what is this? Oh, you don't want to know. Okay. I don't need to know, I guess. But you don't. You want that more than you really want the truth. More than you really want. Listen to me. More than you really want freedom. Hmm. That's an eye-opener for some of them. But they're honest. They say, yeah. And I, I shared this with one guy. I was sitting, I remember I was sitting in Denny's and I shared this with him and he walked away. He was sad. He was hoping that I'd be able to share all this evidence with him. In fact, instead I shared a little bit and just gave him a book and I said, read this book and when you're done, we'll talk. We talked a little bit more at another appointment and he walked away sad because that's when he discovered that he loved to sin too much. That's when I got a call a year later And he had said he had given his heart to Christ and he was going into full-time ministry. He had to make that hard choice. He had to to choose between his present treasures of Egypt, if you will, the sins, the, the pleasures of sin, and being mistreated. Accepting and embracing the disgrace of Christ. Following a life by faith that pursued 
Jesus Christ. And as Zach was sharing, you know what, church? That lifestyle, that pursuit of Jesus is the only thing that is ever going to satisfy you. The only thing. And so that's why it says very clearly, by faith, Moses refused, refused to be known as the fair as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And instead, he made this choice, this hard choice to be mistreated along with the people of God. We don't read about that mischoice too much, excuse me, that mistreatment too much in the book of Exodus, but it's there. There's something else that's there that I want to bring your attention to. Moses made this choice more than just because he somehow found out that he was a Hebrew. He discovered something about what the, Jew, what the Hebrews believed. Now, here's something that maybe not all of us are aware of. Moses did not author the book of Hebrews. Moses compiled the book of Hebrews. Excuse me. Genesis. Let me get that word straight. Moses was not the author of Genesis. He was the compiler of Genesis. Actually, when you look through any quotes in the New Testament from Genesis, it never says Moses said or Moses wrote. Actually, what we find out, and and what I've done in my Bible in in Genesis, I follow what they call the Toledoth. That's That's a Hebrew name. You're probably familiar with it. In your Bible, it probably says account or generation, the account of the heavens and the earth, the account of Adam, the account of Noah, the account of Terah, the account of Ishmael, Esau, Isaac, Jacob. These are the Toledoth. There's 10 of them in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 5.1, it says, and this is the book, that is the writing, not the oral tradition, but the writing of the Toledoth of Adam. These Toledoths were actually written down. Perhaps Adam, Seth, Noah, uh, uh, Shem rather. Okay, Adam, uh, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, they wrote these down. These writings before Noah, some of them were written down, they went with Noah on the ark, surviving the flood. Moses had them in his possession at some point. I want you to turn to a passage that I can't help but wonder if Moses had read, and it's in Genesis chapter 15. You'll see why in a second. And in Genesis 15, this is God confirming his covenant to Abraham, and he tells Abraham what is about to happen, because Abraham is going to be having a son, his son is going to produce a nation, and he's going to bring them to the promised land. And so God is wanting to fill in the missing blank or, or the empty blanks, kind of fill in the information for Abraham. And this is what he says in verse, starting with verse 13. Then the Lord, Genesis 15, 13. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. If you're Moses, what country, what nation would that be? You'd know right away. It's it's Egypt. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. 
but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. There were great, Egypt was one of the wealthiest nations on earth. And God is telling Abraham, Moses is reading this. We know he, at some point he has it. I'm going to suggest to you that he has read this. Somehow we found out his, his Hebrew heritage. He is probably reading this. And he says, they're going, to, they're going to come out of Egypt. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full. So what, what, is Abraham, excuse me, what is Moses thinking? Wow, they are in Egypt right now. They're being enslaved. This is true. This prophetic word is true. They have become a nation. There are already over two million people. Hebrews in the land as slaves in the land of Egypt. But God's going to pull them out. And it's going to take 400 years. Hang on a second. Wow, wait a second. When did God give this? Putting the years together. Oh, my goodness. 400 years? That's today. That's now. That's my, that's my generation or close to it. What if? What if God were to have me be that deliverer? What if God were to say, Moses, you're the man. And so Moses, as the self-appointed deliverer of Israel, killed the Egyptian. He thought that maybe this was the way. He realized he couldn't do it as a crown prince. He'd be compromising way too much. He had to identify with the Hebrews. And so he got down on their level. He made some mistakes on the way. But God said to him, in essence, at age 40, you're not ready. There's too much pride, and I need to humble you. So you need to go to the Midian Desert for 40 years. In essence, I'm not sure if God told him that. But it does say, in the verse in Hebrews, it says, by faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt. Wait a second. Didn't we just read in Exodus 2, it says, because of fear? But Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, as a matter of fact, he wasn't even afraid of the king's anger. So why did he leave Egypt? It says right there, then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. And the God is saying, you know what? He didn't leave Egypt because of fear. He actually left Egypt because of faith. Wow. Moses had come to this place where he realized God is going to set his people free. I'm absolutely convinced of it. God is going to send a deliverer. God is going to rescue these two million plus people and bring them out of Egypt. And he's going to bring them back to the land of Canaan. And he promised it and it's going to happen in 400 years. And that is, that's, that's about now. Okay, so we missed it by 40 years. But he left Egypt because he could no longer identify with the Egyptians. Now, it says that he left, and I can only imagine that there is this great sense of disappointment. What happened? He is absolutely convinced that God is going to set the, 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 the Hebrews free. Was he still going to use him? Maybe he wasn't sure, but he left Egypt in faith. Maybe he was believing. You know what? Maybe now is not the time. Maybe now is not the time. 
But God is going to do this. For 40 years, though, he was a shepherd. And Egyptians looked down on shepherds. And so he, 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 he worked this profession that for 40 years, he himself as an Egyptian looked down on. For 40 years, he was a shepherd. And by the time that he actually stands before the burning bush, which is Exodus chapter 3, something had broken in his heart. He no longer saw himself as a self-appointed deliverer of Israel, of, Israel, of the Hebrews. However God was going to do it, if you wanted to use him, okay, God, good luck with that. But I failed. And God spoke to him. And it tells us in the, Hebrew, in the text, in Hebrews chapter 11, 27, it says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. When did that take place? When did Moses see him who is invisible? The first time that this ever happened, the first time that we're aware of, it was right there on Mount Sinai at the burning bush. And God, the invisible God, in, a, in, a, in some way in a manifested his veiled glory because no man can see God and live. And so he sees God, and because of this experience, this event of God appearing to him in the burning bush, something is rekindled of hope. God is going to deliver my people, and then he hears these words, and I'm going to use you, Moses. You are my chosen one, and I'm going to use you. The 400 years are up, and I'm going to use you. You have turned your back on the ways of the Egyptians and the pleasures that they offer, and you have chosen me. And now I've humbled you. 40 years in the Midianite, in the Midianite desert, I've humbled you, and I've brought you to this place where now, now I can fulfill my good purposes through you. So at age 40, Moses thought he was the deliverer of Egypt, excuse me, deliverer of Israel, but God did not. And at age 80, Moses did not think he was the deliverer of the Jews, but God did. And he just reconciled this in his mind. You know what? It doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what God thinks. God allowed, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. God allowed a very for Moses to experience a very profound event in, in Moses' life. He saw the invisible God. In a burning bush, God spoke very clearly. Take your sandals off. This is holy ground. I'm sure he threw those sandals off. He probably fell on his knees. Wow, God, God is here. And he's talking to me. And this event changed Moses' life. Not only had he been humbled, but he had been humbled to the point where he said, I I'm not gifted enough. I don't speak well. I'm going to do a terrible job. I I I'm not fit for this. I can't do it. I'm not skilled enough. You're calling me to do something that I can't do. Now, it doesn't say this in the text in, in Exodus 3, but I can hear God saying, that's right. You can't do this. You can't do this. That's why 
I'm going to give you everything that you need, everything that you need, Moses, including, listen, including an experience with this burning bush. That every time you doubt yourself, every time you wonder, oh my goodness, God promised. And Pharaoh, because of his hardened heart, is shutting the door on this. God, what are you doing here? Where, what's going on? I can, you can look back and with faith, you can persevere. Why? Because God said it. So here's what I'm going to tell you. You know, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how skilled or smart you are. It doesn't matter if you think you can do anything. There is only one person who needs to speak, and that's it, and that is God. And if he promises, he will bring it to pass. And it took 400 years for God to do this. But he raised up a man who thought he could do it, and God showed him he couldn't. Until finally he realized he couldn't do it, and God said, go ahead and do it. Oh, God, you're so confusing me right now. That's right. The Bible even says Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. If you want to be equipped to change this world, to see global revival, I'm not going to say don't learn how to evangelize, but I tell you what, you want to do it, the most basic prerequisite is humility. Because that humility says, okay, God, I can't, but you can. I need your grace. I can't do this. I can't speak. I'm insecure. And I bet you anything Moses was insecure. I can't, God. God gave him an experience with the burning bush that was just enough for Moses to persevere. And I'm going to tell you this. God will give you experiences in your life, miraculous experiences in your life, provision in which you say, there's no way that this can happen. And guess what? God does it. And you have an event with God, big or small. It doesn't matter, but it will be enough so that whatever God calls you to, you will always be able to look back and you will say, yes. God called me. Yes, God told me to. Yes, God's promises are sure. Yes, God is faithful. Yes, God's love is absolutely infinite. And I don't deserve it, but he loves me anyway and rejoices over me with singing. But God will allow events to come in your life that are sufficient for you by faith. Moses left Egypt and he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. He will give you those events. He will give you those experiences. You don't need to seek after them. Moses wasn't wandering in the wilderness and say, wouldn't it be really cool if I saw God today? Wouldn't it be really cool if he called me to be the deliverer of Egypt? And I would be able to say, okay, God, I got this. Thank you. Now that I've seen, no. He was so humbled, face in the sand type of humility, and God said, you're the man. And he had a life-encountering event. And God will give those life-encountering events to every single one of us as we need it so that when we are moving forward and seeking to embrace his promises, we look back. Because what does faith do? It embraces the truth of who God is from the past, and it constantly looks ahead to the promises of God, and it bridges them and then acts. Understand, though, that Moses just didn't act He had to have that faith that surrendered and said, God, I can't, but today I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to put 
my right foot in front of the other. And I don't know how you're going to do this thing. But the first step is right here. And I need your grace to take this step. And it's there. And when he took that step, God gave him the grace to take the next step. And grace to take the next. And before he, he knew it, he had walked from Midian back to Egypt saying, let my people go. Can you receive that? Can, 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 can you allow God to move in your life and do whatever he wants? Don't try to box him in. God, you got to do this, this, or this. But I tell you what, God will do miracles in your life sufficient to feed your faith. He did this with Gideon. Set fleeces before God. God did them. He's going to do this for your life. Whatever you need to persevere in that faith. But here's the perspective you need to have. God has called me to do this. And you know what? Everything that he has done in my life to this point is sufficient to feed my faith for what I need tomorrow. It's enough. God, God doesn't tell us to do something that is way beyond us with our faith. It's way beyond what he's already provided in the past. He doesn't do that. By faith. Church, I'm going to tell you, even as Christians, we can hang on to, we can put, like monkeys, putting our hand in the coconuts. Let it go. Let it go. Be freed from the deceptiveness of all the sin that's out there that the world offers. It's an illusion. It's a mirage. It does not satisfy. Reject the lies. Identify with Christ and his promise. I'm going to follow you and leave Egypt. Leave it. Let God do in you what he needs to because he is preparing you for an amazing call. I am praying that God, just like the Sunday saying, that God is going to bring about this global revival throughout this earth. And church, we could be a part of it. We could be a, you could be a part of this amazing move right here in Sanford. Can you believe this? That God is doing enough in your life for you to be able to do that. Can you stand with me? God's grace is enough. Faith is not action. Faith is surrender. That now God empowers us to act. Do you see the difference? We're not saved by those actions. Faith receives. Can you do this today, church? Can you just receive? Can we kill the lights? Can we just receive from him right now? All of his, all of the truth of who God is, all of his promises. And can you just receive that? Because if you do, he will bring sufficient humility in your life that says, okay, God, I need you. I'm doing this. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. So God, I'm asking as we do that, as we are humbled by our own inabilities, Moses couldn't even discern the timing. He knew you were going to do something amazing. But he had to wait. And I just ask you, Lord, that you are doing this amazing thing in us. Would you please help us, help 
was let go. So many things we're holding on to, God. And as we let go, help us do this. By faith, receive everything, everything, everything that you're offering us. You have made us your chosen people, a people that you purchased and are so special, not just collectively, individually, each of us so special to you. You have marked out our future. You have marked out all of these good works for us to walk in. They're prepared in advance. All of these promises, you're not just flippantly throwing them out. They are sure. They will come to pass. So God, for us today, we lay down everything that we need to. They're hindrances. They entangle us and keep us from running the race. We lay them down. We let go. And today, God, we're saying, not like you have to, but would you use me? Even in a small way, would you use me? Tomorrow, in a small way, would you use me? Would you help me just today to put that first step forward? And then the next. Would you help me here, God? I am so weak. My faith like it almost isn't there. It's maybe as small as a grain of mustard seed. God, I just want to say thank you that you respond to grains of mustard seed faith. That's all we've got today. By faith, we embrace everything you have for us. By faith, we are making these hard decisions. For one reason, you keep your word. Thank you, God, for the call in every single person's life here. You will bring it to pass because you are good. You are faithful. You are loving. You do not turn your back or turn your head from your people. You have covenanted with us that even when we can't, you can. And that by faith, through faith, by grace, you bring to pass every single one of your good promises. And so today, God, we're saying I can't and I'm humbling myself and I need you today, God. Visit us, God. Speak truth, speak hope, speak life, speak love into our spirits, Lord. And bring all of this, all of these good things to who you are. Do this, God. In Jesus' name we pray.